Thanks for downloading this History Hub podcast. History Hub is based at the University College Dublin School of History. For more information, go to historyhub.ie. Our podcasts are available on iTunes, SoundCloud, and many other podcasting apps. If you enjoy our content, please rate and review our channel, as it helps others to find out about our work. Guy Rofe lectures at the Inter-University Programme of African Studies. This programme is shared by Ben-Gurion University of the Negev, Tel Aviv University, and the Open University. His research interests include pre-colonial history of Africa and the Portuguese presence in Southeast Africa. Recently, as part of the EU's Erasmus Plus Exchange Programme, Dr. Rofe was visiting lecture in the University College Dublin School of History, where he recorded three podcasts for History Hub. In this first episode, Dr. Rofe discusses the creation of modern Portuguese colonialism in sub-Saharan Africa. This podcast deals with the creation of modern Portuguese colonialism in sub-Saharan Africa. Uh, Our point of departure will be the Berlin Conference, which is also known as the Kong Conference, which was held between November 15, 1884 and February 26, 1885. The conference was organized by Otto von Bismarck, the Chancellor of Germany, following a request by the Portuguese government By doing this, the Portuguese hoped to resolve in a neutral diplomatic environment an ongoing territorial and political dispute they had with Great Britain concerning the sovereignty over the Congo Basin and the freedom of shipping and commerce in that region. However, the General Act of the Berlin Conference, which established the guiding principles for the conquest and the partition of the continent, during the process known also as uh, the Scramble for Africa, was a major blow to the Portuguese colonial aspirations. Not only that the General Act uh, guaranteed freedom of trade and shipping in the Congo Basin for all states, and it created a new state on the northern bank of the Congo River, owned privately by Leopold II, the King of Belgium, but mainly because the General Act established the principle of effectivity or effective occupation as the most important factor in any claim by a colonial power on a certain territory. This principle stated that a colonial power could acquire rights over territories if it had signed protection treaties with local African rulers and had established administration and a police force in the territory it claimed. This principle practically pulled the rug under the main advantage the Portuguese government had in territorial disputes with other colonial powers over regions in the continent it claimed, which was their historical presence. During the 1870s, Portugal had won two major territorial disputes with Great Britain, which were arbitrated by international commissions uh, which accepted Portugal's historical claims. The first dispute was over the island of Bolama in modern Guinea-Bissau. The British wanted to annex uh, it to its colony in Sierra Leone. The dispute was resolved in, in, 19, in 1870 by a committee headed by the American president Ulysses S. Grant, which accepted Portugal's historical claim. To commemorate this event, the Portuguese erected a huge metal statue of President Grant in the island, which 10 years ago went missing, only to be found buried, headless, and sliced into pieces. 
The second territorial dispute between Portugal and Great Britain was over Lorenzo Marques, present-day Maputo, the capital of Mozambique. The arbitrator in this dispute was the French president, Patrice de Macmahon, who also ruled in favor of Portugal in July 1875, supporting Portugal's historical claim over the region. By the way, Macmahon was also commemorated by the Portuguese, other than naming a central square in Lorenzo Marques after him, one of the most popular beer brands in Mozambique until this day, the 2M beer, which is an abbreviation of Macmahon, is named after him. Following the Berlin Conference, the Portuguese government had to adapt its colonial strategy to the new rules of the colonial game. This new strategy was applied by the end of the Berlin Conference when the Portuguese signed In the beginning of February 1885, a protectorate agreement called the Treaty of Simulambuco with the King of Ngoyo, which made the Cabinda exclave at the northern bank of the Congo River a Portuguese territory. One of the benefits Portugal did get from the Berlin Conference comes from a principle called the Hinterland Theory, which gave any colonial power that possessed a coastal uh, territory the privilege to claim political influence over an indefinite amount of inland territory. As the Portuguese held the coastal region of Angola in the West Central Africa and the coastal region of Mozambique in Southeastern Africa, they supposedly had the right to claim the land corridor between them. This claim will later be formalized in a map published by the Portuguese foreign minister, Henrique de Barros Gomes, known as the Pink Colored Map. However, the Portuguese government realized that this territorial claim would be opposed by the British government, at 1887 mainly because of the presence of Scottish missionaries at the Shire Highlands in Malawi, and later on because of Cecil Rhodes' British South African company's aspiration to annex the regions that today compose Zimbabwe and Zambia. In order to strengthen their position, the Portuguese hoped to gain international recognition of their own claim. This they tried to do while signing the border agreements of their African colonies with France and Germany. In the agreements with uh, France, the Portuguese ceded the territory between the Casamance River and the modern border between Senegal and Guinea-Bissau to the French. Uh, in this territory, there was a continuous Portuguese presence since the 16th century. The Portuguese agreed to these terms in return for the recognition by the French of Portugal's territorial claim between the coasts of Angola and Mozambique. In the agreement with Germany, signed in Lisbon in December 1886, Portugal accepted to set the border between Angola and the German Southwest Africa, which is now Namibia, at the Kunena River, the 17th line of latitude, and the Okavango River, instead of where it was originally supposed to be set, at the 18th line of latitude. As in the agreements with France, the Portuguese government did this in return of the recognition by Germany of Portugal's territorial claim between the coasts of Angola and Mozambique. These agreements and the Portuguese territorial claim, as reflected in the pink-colored map, were formally protested against by the British government, 
Lord Salisbury stated that Portugal had no way of proving it had effective rule in the area it claimed. To that statement, the Portuguese responded that if that is the case, then also Leopold, the king of Belgium, could not demonstrate effective rule over the vast regions he possessed at the Congo, and neither the British uh, could in the regions they possessed. This dispute culminated into a major crisis known as the British Ultimatum of 1890. The direct cause for this crisis was an attack in November 1889 by a Portuguese expedition force led by a well-known Portuguese explorer called Alexandre de Serpa Pinto on a group called the Makololo, situated uh, at the Shire Highlands in modern Malawi. This group had signed earlier that year a protectorate agreement with the British. Following this event, on January 11th, 1890, The British government sent a memorandum to the Portuguese government in which the Portuguese were demanded to withdraw immediately from the Mashonaland and the Matabeleland regions in modern Zimbabwe and from the Shire region in modern Malawi. The ultimatum and its acceptance by Portugal were considered by the Portuguese public as a great national humiliation. Following the ultimatum, there were several disturbances in Lisbon and Porto, and British property was vandalized. The ultimatum brought to the collapse of the Portuguese government, the publication of the first draft of the agreement over the Portuguese-African borders, signed in August 1890 by Portugal and the United Kingdom, brought to another downfall of the new Portuguese government and ultimately was not ratified by the Portuguese parliament. The final treaty was signed in June 1891. This treaty defined the borders between the Portuguese and the British colonies in Central Africa and allowed the freedom of navigation on the Zambezi and Shire rivers and the lease of the Shinde port at the mouth of the Zambezi to the British. In that same year, a treaty that defined the border between the Congo Free State and Angola was signed between the Portuguese government and Leopold II, Leaving aside some minor alteration in the borders of the Portuguese African colonies, this agreement established the present borders of Angola, Mozambique, and Guinea-Bissau. After the borders were settled, the Portuguese government realized that in order to secure its colonial possessions in the continent, a major administrative reform in its colonial system needed to be implemented. The possibility of the Portuguese colonies being confiscated by other powers was not a hypothetical one at that period. In 1898, before the Second Anglo-Boer War in South Africa, a secret agreement signed between Great Britain and Germany, which will later on be revealed, stated that if Portugal would go into financial bankruptcy, its colonies will be divided between the two powers. The man assigned to the task of formulating this new reform was the then Minister of the Navy and Overseas, Antonio José Enes, who was sent to Mozambique in 1891 as High Commissioner. The group of military officers that would later on go and implement these reforms is known as the Generation of 1895, after the successful military campaign to subdue the Nguni Kingdom of Gaza in southern Mozambique as part of the Portuguese pacification campaigns in its colonies. 
The new colonial policy, designed by Enesh and implemented by the generation of 1895, had a number of goals. To create a uniform political policy for all the colonies, to make the colonies profitable, or at least that their budget will be balanced, to create and implement a new effective administrative structure for the colonies and to subdue the local population in the Portuguese colonies to recognize Portuguese sovereignty. To fulfill this goal, but also in order to meet the international demands set at the Berlin Conference, the Portuguese undertook a number of actions. The first one was to embark in military campaigns in order to force the local population of each of the colonies to recognize the Portuguese sovereignty. In the case of the Portuguese, this project was much more prolonged than that of any of the other colonial powers. From 1891 until 1924, there wasn't a year in which the Portuguese were not engaged in a military conflict with the local population in each of its colonies. The second action was to implement a new administrative structure for the colonies. The new structure, which was inspired by the British model, was a decentralized one in which the major policies and the budget of each colony were to be designed by its governor. This policy resulted to be catastrophic and was later altered at the period of the military dictatorship in Portugal in the late 1920s. This policy resulted to be catastrophic and was later altered during the period of the military dictatorship in Portugal in the late 1920s. This change was made following Angola's bankruptcy during the second term of José Norton de Matos as its governor. In this new administrative reform, each colony was divided into provinces and the provinces into districts. Each district was composed of Portuguese conselhos, or municipalities, and local circumscriptions. During the period of the First Republic, the lowest rank at the bottom of the colonial administrative hierarchy was introduced. This was the chefe do posto, a Portuguese officer that was in charge of the interaction with the local population in his region, collecting taxes, recruiting people for forced labor, setting the prices for local crops, providing licenses and other functions. The next action done as part of the reforms was the establishment of a dual legal system in the colonies, one designed for the local population, defined as the indigenous population or the indigenous population, and the other for the European, Asian and Mestizo population, which were defined as now indigenous or the not-indigenous population. According to the Portuguese government, these statuses were not defined by an individual's race, but according to the individual's civilizatory level. The now-indigenous status also consisted of African individuals that underwent an assimilation process. Since the late 1920s, these individuals were defined as civilizados and later as assimilados, civilized or assimilated. In order to obtain the status of now indigena, an individual had to pass a very frustrating bureaucratic process. In 1960, the year before these legal statuses were annulled by the legal reform introduced by Adriano Moreira, there were approximately 5,000 assimilados in Mozambique and 30,000 in Angola. 
The next action was to introduce a new labor code for the colonies that will replace the existing code from 1878 enacted following the prolonged process of abolition of slavery in the Portuguese colonies. The new code passed in 1899. It specified that any person between the age of 14 and 60 belonging to the indigenous population had to be able to prove to have a contract with an employer that lasts no less than five years. Otherwise, this individual could be recruited for public forced labor. As other colonial powers did, also the Portuguese advocated this form of exploitation through the contemporary civilizing discourse. The next action was to try and make the colonies profitable. This was done initially by giving concessions to various companies, These were private European companies that were invited to make investments in the colonies in return for a grant of land, over which they gained privileged rights of exploitation. This system was not so profitable after all, and most of these concessions were not renewed during the Estado Novo after the 1930s. The last action was designed to increase Portuguese immigration to the colonies. Its purpose was to try and divert the mass immigration at this period from Portugal to the Americas into the colonies. This policy was not successful initially, although it succeeded since the late 1930s when the coffee industry became very profitable in Angola. It is estimated that at the end of the Portuguese rule in Africa in the 1970s, there were half a million Portuguese in Angola and 350,000 in Mozambique.